uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. You know, a lot of stuff happened on the internet this week. Strange orbs fell from the sky, or one strange orb, rather, fell from the sky and landed in Mexico. Thousands watched online as Nancy Pelosi's plane slowly made its way to Taiwan. And the International Atomic Energy Agency called out Russia for making Europe's biggest nuclear power plant a front in its war on in Ukraine. It's a grab bag episode of Cyber this week, and we're going to get it all. We're going to get into all of it with Motherboard Editor-in-Chief Jason Kebler. Jason, thank you so much for once again coming on to the show and walking us through everything that's going on. I had to beg and plead. What's he, a, what's a guy got to do to get on the show these days? I said, well, I guess we could have you on since you're in charge, maybe. Um, we it's could. nepotism in action. It is. It is. You shouldn't really put re- my finger on the scale. Yeah, you shouldn't be here, but we had to say yes. So here we go. So yeah, a little peek behind the curtain is we didn't have any other ideas this week. It's been it's been a really busy week, but it, there's been a lot of like we talked about the Alex Jones trial. That's still a big, big thing in the news. The verdict is expected today, but we already did that. We're going to talk about Roblox, but Joseph is MIA. He's on vacay. He's so. in the woods somewhere. Yeah. And I, yeah, undisclosed location. It's funny. I told Anna yesterday <laughs> that I really wish we had held, we had done like the Alex Jones trial today just because it got so wild yesterday. Uh, but, you know, ship has sailed. What can you do? You can talk about space junk. You can talk about mystery orbs. Should we mention briefly that Alex Jones's attorney accidentally gave the defense attorney a copy of Alex Jones's phone? I, I, uh, I have problems with the word accidentally, but yeah, I think we should. We should as a follow-up to the last episode. Uh, we've both been following it. What it was, so it was kind of incredible uh, to watch. I mean, that's clip. that's basically the story. <laughs> like, yeah. Alex Jones is testifying in this um, damages trial, uh, and under cross-examination, the prosecuting attorney says, do you know what perjury is? We have your phone. Your lawyer sent it to us. Did not ask for it to be privileged somehow. Uh, and we have all of your text messages for the last several years. And now they're giving it to the January 6th commission. It's wild shit. Yeah, I mean, the, it's one of those things that the we don't even know what the fallout from it is going to be and probably won't for months. Because I'm sure that's a lot of information that's two years of texts and emails from Alex Jones. I can't even fathom what's in there. Um, there's like a lot of people whose phones I would like to see who I would like a full copy of their phone, uh, just to, just to see what their reality is like, see what they're saying, who they're talking to. I would say Alex Jones is really high up on my list for phones. Yeah, absolutely. Phones to acquire. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Patty Padman from the chat says the keyword on on that, the keyword search on that phone will be insane. And yeah, I think it will be. Um, I'm also wondering just how much of it ends up filtering out to the public as these things tend to do with these high profile cases. But again, it'll probably be a while until we know what's going on. Do we know when the verdict's coming down? The jury is today, like probably any, I mean, we're recording this at a 1 PM Eastern. The jury's deliberating right now. So I don't know in the next couple hours, probably it's expected today. Okay. Probably not during this, uh, during this recording, but if it if it happens, we'll let you know. Right, and it's 
And this is not the last case he's going to face. I think that's really important to underscore too, is like, there's more of these kinds of cases coming uh, in Alex Jones's life in the near future. So yeah. All right. So that's, there's your Alex Jones update. Um, so the other, one of the stories that you were kind of obsessed with this week, you made a TikTok about it. You wrote about it personally yourself, uh, was a mysterious orb that landed in Mexico. What's, what's, what's the deal here? The orb, baby. Like you haven't heard about the orb yet. Get get with the picture. Um, no. So uh, on Sunday night around like eleven p.m., uh, this meteorologist named Isidro Canaluna, who is like a TV meteorologist in Veracruz, Mexico, which is this city on the Gulf of Mexico in southeastern Mexico, goes on Facebook and posts pictures of this orb. Do we have, can we show the orb? Oh, there's the orb. I see it. So for those listening, it's just like a big bronze ball with the seemingly an antenna coming out of it. And he posts a picture of this and he's like, this gigantic metallic sphere just fell on a tree in Mexico. It could be radioactive. Everyone stay far away from it. He posts this like, couple hours after being like, Hey, it's going to rain today. Like just kind of out of the blue, this guy has, you know, 150,000 followers on Facebook, just like somewhat prominent in the local community is like a TV journalist. Then he comes back a few minutes later and updates. And he's like following up on the metallic sphere that fell on top of a tree. It should not be opened or tried to be opened we need to get the Mexican Navy or military to come collect it and study it because I've seen on the outside of the sphere, there's a secret code, but no hole or slit through which it can be opened. And then he says that the sphere has a timing mechanism on it that will eventually uncover, quote, valuable information. And then he goes away and then he comes back the next day and he's like, hey, it's going to rain today. There's like a low pressure front coming through Veracruz, like everything back to normal. And then he makes one final post and he's like, I've confirmed that this orb is made up of seven different alloys. It was removed by top secret uh, personnel. It has left the state of Veracruz and is perhaps going to leave the country of Mexico for analysis. And it's like just a very wild series of Facebook posts from a guy who this is like a 70 year old man who has like a 30 or 40 year career in meteorology and just like newscasting. And he posts all this stuff and it's like, I don't know. We don't have really any information about the orb. Our only real information comes from this guy. I'm not really sure what the deal is, but it's like we've, we've spent the last couple of days trying to figure out what's going on with this orb because it looks uh, to me like it could be, I don't know, part of a weather satellite or part like space junk um, weather balloon. I'm not really sure, but it seemingly captured the information, the attention and imagination of a lot of different people. I don't know what you think of the orb, Matt. Uh, My my personal favorite thing that you didn't read off that he said is personal suggestion. And this is always in all caps. Do not touch it or get close to it until it is reviewed by specialists. It may be radioactive. And then at the end of his last statement, the object is no longer in the state of Veracruz and its final destination will be beyond our borders. Will the authorities say that this was a joke or fake news? National security issue closed. 
Um, yeah, yeah no, I I'm think just it's, so thankful that the people of Veracruz no longer have to worry about the chromatic time uh, time locked sphere. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I, its secret information and radioactivity. This this does strike me as a weather satellite or something like that, right? Like stuff falls from the sky pretty often, you know? So the, the reason that this was interesting and we're going to get to it is like, is this aliens? No, it does not seem to be aliens. Like, I don't think that it's aliens. Did this actually fall from the sky? Seemingly. I mean, it's a big metal thing and it's clearly on top of a tree. I'm not really sure how something like that gets there. Like it could obviously be put there by crane. It looks heavy to me. Um, but it was like a banner weekend for items falling from space. There was like a lot of shit that hits, hit the ground from space all weekend. And so most likely this is part of, uh, a Chinese satellite. I believe that, uh, parts of fell, uh, fell near the Philippines. Parts of it fell in the Indian ocean. Parts of it fell in Malaysia and then sort of, Less expectedly, there were there was debris from a SpaceX Dragon crew vessel uh, that hit like three different parts of Australia, uh, and there were all these photos of people being like, "What the fuck? There's this uh, this satellite has just <laughs> hit in my backyard or hit down the street or whatever." And so, there's been like various scientific studies showing, like we've written about them, showing that increasingly, like satellites, space junk parts of space stations, various things just like fall from the sky sometimes. And uh, I suspect that's what happened here. Uh, I've gotten a lot of emails since we published this story about what it could be. And and side note, if you know what this orb is, please, please let me know. Uh, lots of theories, lots of, some of them crazier than others, but a lot of people are like, we think that this is probably like an oxygen canister or something like that from a Chinese rocket, the Chi- the Chinese rocket, although no one's been able to like show me the, uh, the orb on a spacecraft, like, you know, from historic pictures and then compared to this. So it's not, it's still not confirmed. It's been like five days. No one, no one has really like figured out what it is yet to my knowledge. And I was unable to get in touch with Mexican authorities who allegedly took this off somewhere. Um, I did get an email from a person who said that he thinks it's his DIY spacecraft, which uh, is not credible, but was a really fun email chain where he was like, a few years ago, I put a bunch of items into an orb that looked exactly like this and including a single unloaded firearm and launched it into space and tried to send it beyond our solar system. And I did it. I did this all in secret. I didn't take any photos of it because I knew it was a crime. But like, this is my orb. Like, I claim responsibility for the orb. <laughs> this and, is my uh, orb. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I think I know what happened to the orb. It's my orb. I launched it in 2018, and it's like it. He's like, it didn't make it out of the solar system clearly, but but clearly it made it. You know, into he said it went to a, a Martian moon and somehow came back here, which. To be clear to everyone, I do not think that this is a credible story, but it's captured the imagination of various people. A lot of people think it's like part of a DIY like weather balloon type thing, which it, which wouldn't be an orbital thing. It would be, you know, like an atmospheric 
weather balloon, which of which there are a lot. I don't know. If you know what the orb is, please, please let me know. It's it's bothering me. Well, tell me about the stuff that we know a little bit more about. Tell me about the Chinese rocket and the SpaceX story. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that there's there's honestly not that much to say about it other than uh when we launch things into space, like depending on where it is in orbit, uh like things only stay in orbit for so long, like eventually things will either deorbit because they're pushed out of orbit on purpose because space is getting really crowded. So there's been a few different projects to like deorbit things. Um, there's been talk of trying to deorbit the International Space Station, although its lifespan has been extended like time after time after time. So no, I don't know of any plans now to deorbit it. But um, it's like when you launch things into space, depending on where the orbit is, sometimes the rocket comes back down. And uh, I believe we call this like an uncontrolled reentry, depending on um, sort of depending on like where uh, and how it comes back to Earth. And there was a scientific paper. I need to pull it up, but it's like there was recently a study done by scientists sort of tracking the probability of a spacecraft like landing on your house and killing you. Uh, and the odds are like <laughs> shockingly high. Um, not that it's going to kill any individual person, but there's like, I think it's like a one in 10 chance that in the next 10 years, like a rocket or spaceship will fall from orbit and hit a human being and kill them. Um, let me pull up that number. Cause it might be wrong, but um, yeah, it's like this stuff happens at deorbit sometimes. This Chinese rocket needed to, like, came back down sort of in an uncontrolled fashion. It hit all over different parts of Asia. The SpaceX Dragon debris came down in three different parts all over Australia. And it's like when this stuff falls back to, to Earth, it's like there's no real way of controlling it. It just hits wherever it hits. It's uh, now I'm deep in this internet rabbit hole. I'm sure people listening are fascinated, but apparently there are already treaties governing the liability of who pays who off if a rocket hits your house that comes in from space, uh, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, so so I I just found the story. We published it last month. The headline is: "There's a 10 percent chance rocket debris will kill someone on Earth this decade." Studies find, and they find that the um that most likely it's going to hit someone in the global South. Uh, I believe because there's just more population there, but uh, yeah, it's quote Jakarta, Dhaka, Mexico city, Bogota and Lagos are the, are at least three times as likely as Washington, DC, New York, Beijing and Moscow to have a rocket body re-enter over them on the basis of the current rocket body population in orbit. So I guess they studied the, um, orbital patterns of these satellites and basically found that like when these things deorbit, they're more likely to be over the Southern hemisphere than the, than the Northern hemisphere. So what do we, what can you tell me about some of the efforts to clean up this space junk deorbit this stuff? Cause I mean, I, I imagine as more and more of us are interested in going out there, going to space, doing more in space, this is going to be a kind of a big problem, right? Yeah, I mean it's the uh it's the plot of the film Gravity starring uh George Clooney and Susan Sarandon, not Susan Sarandon. Wow. Someone. Wow. Who 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 is his co-star in that movie? 
It. She was the star. She was the star. Um, I know. What you know, is her name? Uh, Julia Roberts? Was no, it Julia I just, Roberts? You no. Would, this is the sad thing is I just shamed you for not knowing and I can see your face. And you have no idea. And I know idea. she's from Austin. No I know she's from Texas. Okay. In any case, it's the plot of that science fiction movie. And it's like, that's based on a real theory, which is basically like, there's a lot of space junk in low earth orbit. Uh, basically by Sandra Bullock. Thank you, Emily. Um, basically by like the grace of luck, as well as the, fact that the international space station can uh sort of move itself around orbit like it, they can do little thrusts here and there to avoid big pieces of space junk like the international space station hasn't been blown up by um you know rocks hurtling like p- little pieces of satellites and other space junk that breaks off of other satellites like that hasn't happened yet, but basically like there's this theory, which I'm not remembering the name of the theory right now, but basically it's like, um, once it's like a chain reaction, like crap, like crashes in space in low orbit will create additional pieces of space junk because when things hit each other, they break into more pieces and then you get sort of, uh, you know, runaway effect where, Eventually, the theory is that like low Earth orbit will be impact uh, like impenetrable to satellites or rockets or or whatever. And it's like we're a re- we're a really long way away from that, but that is like the sort of big fear. And so like NASA and the European Space Administration and all these other governments, uh, get government space programs have and and a lot of universities as well have been trying to track space junk. They've basically tried to make a survey of like where it is, their orbital patterns, and have tried to um, sort of like track smaller asteroids, the ones that are that are harder to find, as well as bigger pieces of space junk that we've created, sort of just like our trash in orbit, um, to avoid this from like prevent this from happening. Um, the other thing is there have been a couple conceptual plans to basically like put a giant net into space uh, and ha- and go go around with like a little spaceship in space and catch little pieces of space junk and deorbit them safely. Uh, these are mostly within the realm of like conceptual drawings and concept art and stuff like that. Like it's it's not really something that has been done well to my knowledge, but um, it's something that scientists have been talking about for a while. The other thing that I should mention is a few years ago, like maybe a decade ago, China purposefully blew up one of its own satellites with a missile just to prove that it could as sort of like a show of power. And that created like thousands and thousands of little pieces of space junk that are really tough to track. It it was considered to be like a very dangerous thing to do. And it's considered to still be a threat uh, because this stuff orbits for years and years and years before it eventually falls out of space showing some of the nets to the audience right now. All right, cyber listeners, uh, while you stare at these nets or imagine them in your head, if you're on the podcast, we are going to take a brief break. If you are listening to the show on uh, the podcast, we will be back after these messages from our sponsors. If you are watching the Twitch stream, we will be back immediately. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, cyber listeners, thank you for sticking around. Uh, this is Matthew Galt. I'm on with Jason Kebler, Motherboard's editor-in-chief, and we are going through all of the wild stories that we published on Motherboard this week. Let's talk about uh, a controversial topic, Jason. Let's talk about Taiwan. So we had a couple stories about Taiwan this week. The first one um, that really caught my eye was the flight tracking. It seemed like everybody in the world was watching Nancy Pelosi's plane uh, as it as it went through the sky and was going to Taiwan. What? Why did everyone care? What were the sites people were using to watch? And kind of how else have they been involved in the news lately? Yeah, hashtag when will Nancy land, right? Um, so uh, I am not an expert in this topic, in the topic of like, so basically Taiwan is an independently governed territory slash country um, in Asia, obviously, that China claims as its own. And it's highly, highly contentious. China wants to reunify it uh, sort of after Russia invaded Ukraine, there was all of this talk about would China be uh, emboldened to, quote, reunify with Taiwan, which means basically invade Taiwan, take it over and make it part of this larger, quote, one China that China believes is part of its territory. This is a highly contentious topic in politics for a variety of reasons, um, most of which is China is a very powerful country and we have a very uneasy peace with them, I guess you'd say. And, and so, I mean, anytime that, you know, an NBA player makes a comment about Hong Kong or Taiwan or, you know, Chinese censorship, so on and so forth, it's like our economic interests and China's economic interests are so deeply intertwined that it's like many people just simply walk on eggshells around this topic. And so, no high-ranking American official has been to Taiwan for like several decades. And sort of during this period of like increased tension because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict and sort of because uh, people sort of looking at that conflict, that war, that invasion and saying like, you know, this this could be bad for Taiwan because maybe China will take try to take Taiwan back. She uh, over in China has been saying for a long time that it is part of his plan to reunify China, like eventually. Uh, and it is generally perceived that if China tries to take back Taiwan, it would be a very bad thing for the world. Like it would be similar. I mean, you can probably speak more to this than I can, but similar to Russia invading Ukraine, it's like it'd be similar to that in that the world is so interdependent on China at this point that like we would be in a very difficult spot economically as to like, what do we do here? Do we provide military support? Do we do embargoes with China? Like what would be the knock on ramifications of that? So on and so forth. And so basically like the U S government hasn't like has this policy where it recognizes Taiwan, but does not, but also doesn't kind of, is that, is this accurate, Matt? Yeah, it's it's Schrodinger's country, um, if we can even call it a country. I'm sure 
there's listeners that are yelling at us right now, like they were, like they were with Sandra Bullock. But yeah, I think that's I think you did a, a fairly good job of summarizing that. Yeah, and so Nancy Pelosi, who like is just simply like very controversial of late, partially because she is just very out of touch with everything. She is part of America's gerontocracy. Uh, she has been making these wild stock trades, like buying Nvidia stock one day, selling it the next, like all of these accusations of just like using her power in ways that are really weird. Yeah. And that's, and that's a super uh, interesting wrinkle of this that I didn't see reported a whole lot. It's like Taiwan is responsible for the bulk of Silicon and chip manufacturing, which is just like a huge, you know, another huge topic in yeah. American politics right now. We just passed the chips act. And so it's like, we passed the chips act and then Nancy is like, yo, I'm going to Taiwan. You can't stop me. She's like, I'm going to lead a congressional uh, delegation to Taiwan. And basically like the Biden administration is like, please don't do that. Taiwan is like, please don't do that. Uh, China is like, definitely don't do that. It's going to be really bad if you do that. Like we're going to, we're going to be really mad if you do that. And Nancy Pelosi is like, I'm going anyway. And so like the, you know, the Pentagon has been like, please don't do this. The Biden, everyone is like, don't do this, Nancy. Like, don't go. Like, why are you going? What is the point of going? Taiwan doesn't want you to come. Like Taiwan straight up said, like, do not come. And so Nancy goes anyway. And so all these people have been tracking, like we're tracking her plane on the way there. And thanks to sort of the way that planes work, which, you know, they have various uh, flight tracking things on board. They have uh, something called ADSB, something called MLAT. Uh, these are transpo- transponders that basically, you know, are used by air traffic control and also are used for plane-to-plane communication, plane-to-ground communication, plane-to-satellite communication to make sure that planes don't crash into each other. Um, people start. It also allows the planes to be tracked, and a lot of this data is just—it's like open source. And so people started tracking Nancy's flight because she got on the plane, and they were like is she actually going to Taiwan? Like up until the last minute, it's like, we actually didn't know if she was going to Taiwan or if she was going to Asia. Like there was reporting saying she was going to Taiwan, but people weren't quite sure if she'd call it off last minute, especially after the Taiwanese government was like, we don't want this heat. Like, don't come here. We don't want you here. Uh, But yeah, she went, she went anyway. And so it was a big thing earlier this week on Twitter where people were using this website called flight radar 24, to track Nancy's plane. And then, you know, as she got closer and closer to, to Taiwan, uh, the site got hugged to death by just like tons and tons of traffic and ultimately like went down. And so then there was this moment like, well, it seems like she's going to Taiwan, but the flight tracking website that most people are using went down. So I don't know, maybe like, has she landed yet was basically like the, the conversation online. All right. Let's let's since we kind of brought up Ukraine and all of that, let's switch over to something that I wrote about this week. And you can be the host and I'll be the guest. Uh, so I'm going to punt the ball to you. Can I have the host hat? Can you have the host hat? Yeah, here, here I'm putting. There we go. Uh, I'm putting the host hat on you. So. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, so, someone, sorry, someone in chat says that Taiwan wanted it, but the rest of Asia Pacific didn't. I mean, that that was sort of how it started. But once, once um, China was like, we like there will be pain if this happens. Like toward like in the last sort of twelve to twenty four hours before that, they were like, I don't think that this is worth it. 
I, I don't have the article in front of me, but that's as I remember it. They were like, please uh, just don't come. Um, I could be misremembering that, but that is that is the reporting that I saw. Um, anyways, so yes, uh, nuclear power. What's what's going on here? We have so Russia. The the war rages on in Ukraine um, because we all have the attention spans of goldfish. Uh, we are not talking about it as much as we were in February, March, April, etc. But uh, war continues there. And the United Nations was like, hey, guys, like, by the way, did you realize that there's a bunch of fighting near one of Europe's most important nuclear power plants? Uh, And I'll throw it to you there. What is what the hell is going on? So the reason this is back in the news this week is that the International uh, Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, uh, their their head, uh, Rafael Grossi, and I'm going to screw up some names, the pronunciation of them, just letting everyone know now. Um, gave an interview at the Associated Press where he said, uh, you know, Europe's biggest, the situation in Europe's biggest power plant is, quote, completely out of control. Um, And IAEA inspectors and regulators need to be let into this power plant to just to see what the hell's going on. So the situation is this, um, and this thing has been, this power plant has been in and out of the news since the war started. Um, This is the power plant that got bombed at the offset where like there was this huge scare and then it ended up being like an administrative building that was bombed, right? Like this is the same one. Yeah. So February 24th, uh, Russia actually put this, um, does its invasion proper. I would argue that it had invaded years ago, but, uh, uh, ups its invasion goes in. Um, one of the places it goes is to this power plant, which is in Southeast, Ukraine, uh, Zaporizhia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it's the biggest power. It's the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe. Um, and then around March 4th, they take it over. And before they had taken it over, there's a huge firefight there. And there are C- live CCTV cameras that are live streamed to the internet. And people watched the firefight as it was happening. Something like 95,000 people. You could see the tracers flying through the air and something caught fire and everyone panicked and worried that we were going to have another Chernobyl, basically. Um, there's a lot of good reasons to suspect that another, even if something really bad there did happen, it wouldn't be another Chernobyl, but we can get into that. Uh, but turns out it was an administrative building that had caught fire. Um, it wasn't quite close enough to any of the nuclear stuff for it to get really bad. The fire got put out. But uh, Russia took over the power plant. And since then, they have... Kept, they've been in control of it, but it's you've got this very odd situation where uh, it's on the bank of a river, and across the river is Ukraine-held territory. Russia's controlling the power plant, but everyone that's working at the power plant is Ukrainian, um, and obviously, you know, not super happy about the situation. So they're, like, cycling workers in and out, and Ukrainian uh, officials that work for, like, the energy companies and and atomic regulators are crossing the front line and going in and out and bringing supplies and, like, keeping the plant running as best they can in the circumstances, um, you know, under which they find themselves. And the IAEA has been pretty vocal about this kind of the entire time. And then this week had some really strident words. And I think the reason that they did, uh, 
just going to read some more quotes here. Every principle of nuclear safety has been violated. What is at stake here is extremely serious and extremely grave and dangerous. Um, when you put this together, you have a catalog of things that should never be happening in any nuclear facility. And this is why I've been insisting from day one that we have to be able to go in there and perform this safety and security evaluation to do repairs and to assist as we've already done in Chernobyl. They were eventually, IAEA did inspect Chernobyl and help get things back up running there and safe uh, ostensibly. But, okay, so why now did this become like an AP story? Um, And it's, I think, because we know a little bit more about how Russia has been conducting itself. Uh, It has, uh, the New York Times said that they've turned this power plant into a fortress. And I think that's a pretty apt description. So, oh, am I muted? Did I mute myself? No, you're good. We're here. I'm here. No, is the chat mad? Yeah, chat's mad. I seem to. Oh, have, you muted yourself. I seem to. Have, I muted myself. I I'm think, gonna. I can hear Matt. I'm gonna pretend like I'm, uh, like I'm Matt, and repeat what he said while he types, clicks some buttons. So Russia has been using uh, this power plant as a quote fortress, uh, yes. and has been launching. Yeah. So it's more than just. There. It's more than just launching. Like they have. So again, this is this is on the bank of a river. Ukrainian cities are across the river from it. Russia has been launching artillery attacks near into those Ukrainian cities from the bank of the river right next to the nuclear power plant. And they're also staging military assets uh, around the stuff in the nuclear power plant, like armored personnel carriers are blocking um, one of the routes that you would use, like if the plant were to catch fire and everyone needed to be evacuated, there's like a big armored personnel carrier there just right in the way. Um, after they fire their artillery, they retreat it into the nuclear power plant. And this is obviously because you can't do a counterattack. Like Ukraine would not do a counterattack. It's like, hey, on you want to bomb plant. us? Yeah. You have to bomb this nuclear power plant. Or you yes. have to get really close to it, and that is very dangerous, and no one wants that. And the the situation is getting increasingly dangerous because Ukraine, uh, with the use of the HIMARS that have been gifted to them by uh, America, has been striking back, has been doing a pretty big counterattack push, and they want to get across that river and retake the power plant and retake Kherson. Well, how do you do that without, you know, blowing up a nuclear power plant? Um, and we know, like... It could be very bad, uh, but the way these power, the way this particular power plant was designed, is not as dire as Chernobyl. It probably, like, if it were to explode, it probably wouldn't be as bad as you know. In the grand scheme of like nuclear accidents, it would probably be more localized. Still, be bad. Matt, Matt has been spending months being like, "This nuclear disaster, not so bad, not so bad." <laughs> It would be okay. <laughs> no, I mean, no, but the actual specifics around it are because the the reactor is like deep underground, correct? Yes, it's deep underground. It's designed in a different way. It's more segmented off. So like like during the fighting, uh, one of the reactors was actually hit by shrapnel during the initial fighting, but it didn't but it didn't do you know anything uh, because they're better protected and better set up. They, we've we've learned a lot. This one was built in. 1980 and then first turned on in 1985. Um, and between then and like the time that Chernobyl was built, like everyone has learned a lot and we've learned a lot even more now. The nuclear power gets a little bit more safe every year, but 
it's still frightening. It's still terrifying. And the IAEA is like, hey, can we just get in there and figure out what's going on? You know, we've got some contact with the Ukrainians that are in the building. We know they're not happy, uh, but we would really love to come in and just like be some sort of impartial arbiter to just make sure that, you know, there's not a new, there's UN not loves a new saying that the, the UN really loves to be like, let, let us check this out. And yeah. then I feel like, uh, feel like they haven't been terribly effective during the uh, Ukrainian war thus far. Although, you know, I mean, we respect could, to the UN. We could do a whole episode about the ineffectiveness of uh, international regulatory agencies when it comes to this kind of thing, but it's a different show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wh- what other global conflicts can I get way out over my skis on? Um, <laughs> you ask me questions about things that I know a little bit about and then just really fuck up the details. Right. I mean, we could talk about blue helmets in Africa. That would be a super fun and depressing one, but we won't. Let's not do that. Yeah. Um, a lot going on this week, though. It's been, as I as we said at the top, it's like so much has happened that, it, you know, we have orbs falling. We have uh, spaceships falling. We have Nancy doing whatever she's doing. We have, you know, we didn't even mention that the UN was like, hey, uh, we're we're also worried about regular nuclear war. Yeah, um, that that also they, happened. They <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, yeah, that also happened this week. I can't remember who said it, but they said something to the effect of one small miscalculation uh, in current world events could lead to a nuclear war, which is bad. Yeah. You know, like Russia They're always saying that too. Though it's like the, the everyone's always saying that if if someone launches a nuclear weapon, it would be bad. Yeah, but. I would argue that the conditions right now, uh, there's t- the, we've got rising tension among uh, the three biggest superpowers, China, Russia, America. Um, we have a reversal of a decades-long trend of drawing down tensions and dismantling nuclear weapons. China is building ICBM bunkers uh, and probably building more nuclear weapons. It had a pretty small cachet uh, compared especially to... Russia and China. Russia has been talking about all the cool new nuclear stuff that it wants to build and is building. So it's there's reason to be fearful of nukes again. Uh, new York City is releasing. PSAs. New York City is like. By the way, if we get nuked, go inside and take a shower. Don't panic. Go inside and take a shower. Turn on the TV immediately. Turn on cyber. <laughs> Listen to cyber, and oh, everything will be okay. Very important. If you do get nuked, yeah, don't use hair conditioner. Do not use conditioner because it will bond with the nuclear molecules and keep it in your hair. Very bad. Only shampoo. My little tip to you: if you get nuked, should we leave it there? I, I feel like ending on a life-saving piece of advice is a good place to go. I think that's the perfect place to go. Jason, thank you so much for coming on to this grab bag cyber and, uh, you know, just having, having a good old time talking about orbs and nuclear war with me. I had a good time. Uh, if you guys like the show and, and you want to see it live as it is uh, recorded, please follow us on Twitch. It's at twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV. And uh, Joseph will be out of the woods, so there will probably be some some hacking stuff next week. Lorenzo is going to conference. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. Maybe we'll get to talk about Roblox. Maybe, awesome. We're not talking about Roblox. I'm gonna keep Stop teasing. I'm gonna keep teasing Roblox. Roblox. <laughs> the yeah. story that will never I'm, happen. I'm back cyber. in 2023 for Roblox. We're working on a, a real special, real special episode. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.